Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season three of the 100 Mass Men series where I anonymously interview different men from all around the world about self-identity, expectations from society, and how that affects our self-worth. As you know, I went on a pretty spiritual journey here in Mexico and had a chance to sit down with some men from the 10-day silent retreat I was on here in Mazunte. Masked man number 59 is the spiritual man. He shares his story from living in communist Romania and starting a new life in America, his battle with his own ego, and the idea that if everyone is wearing a mask, then we are all interacting mask on mask, and the expectations to appear as someone else and the growing rejection of authenticity results in just this frustration and pain. I don't know, I'm not sure how we ended up spinning the mic on me and my pain with this show, but it was a great reflection on my own struggle with trust and love. So let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show. I was born in Romania and um, during communist time. So that was uh, an interesting time. As a child, there was a lot of freedom it was a lot of freedom to, to play in nature. The country was not so well developed, but also many of the Western ideas were not so much allowed in. So the, the culture was still very much Romanian and raw. It was not being taken over. Mm-hmm. Of course, we had to deal, not I, but the f- people had to deal with the propaganda. But the propaganda was really minimal. From what I remember... Is just posturing by the current leader that things are okay. And there was lack of food, mainly, uh, and availability of, um, you know, it's like having meat and uh, having things that you might have in a regular European country. So as a child, I didn't really feel any of these things because it was time to play and there was great open space to play. Family dynamic, I cannot tell so much. My mom loved my dad. My dad loved my mom. Uh, they were pretty good. They, were, they both had good jobs, respectable jobs, nurse and an engineer. So things were, uh, it gave them kind of like a meaning to life. Mm-hmm. Did you have a closer relationship with either your mother or your father? I cannot say that. Um, I, I had a close relationship with both of them. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe there was a connection with my mom because she was more loving and caring and, and near. While with my dad, he was... Um, Maybe it's like the bad cop, good cop kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. So the mom would be kind of like protecting, protecting, but the dad was kind of like, if something needs to get done and put the child in his place or whatever, then that would be his job. So, uh, but I had a very good connection with my dad as well. He died when I was fourteen. At that time, my mom has left already for a couple of years. She escaped Romania to pro to she crossed the river, the Danube River, and she left at that time. 
which was a dangerous job. It was a, like a life and death kind of like situation. Mm-hmm. And she got an asylum in you for United States. And there, when you when you do that, you also can bring your family over. Mm-hmm. But during this entire time, my dad passed away. So it's interesting because as I was entering maybe more into my manhood or like growing up from a child to a man, uh, that's exactly the time that he he passed away. So my sister and I were still in Romania, and he passed away. And my mom was in the United States. We joined her soon after, mm-hmm. but uh, still, I mean, for her it was very tough. Uh, for my sister as well. So a certain connection, I can say, I can see in retrospect, was not necessarily developed with my dad. You're still that father child but the child is growing older and getting more rebellious so there were moments when I definitely yeah I started rebelling (laughs) (laughs) okay like yeah it was it's like the time when you no longer feel kind of uh, like the ruler slapping your hand Mm -hmm. like uh, you can slap my hand I can take it it doesn't hurt so much anymore it's like I had I had grown through that and uh and I was like, okay, actually, though, I'm no longer afraid <laughs> of this. It's no longer a punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I haven't had a chance to explore that. that okay. Kind of, yeah. So you moved to the United States basically as a, as a teenager. So where did you move to? Straight in New York City, mm-hmm. which was incredible. <laughs> Um, I lived in Bucharest, which was already quite a impressive city, beautiful city. But uh, the tallest building there was 21 stories, the Intercontinental Hotel. And now here I am, I arrive in New York City with <laughs> bridges hanging over water and lights, lights everywhere. And Christmas, every, every night was, was Christmas in New York. And uh, tall buildings, yeah, and highways that are wider than a little village or something like this. You know, mm-hmm. it was uh, quite incredible. Yeah. So when you entered um, New York City and and started a newer life there, how did you adjust to the expectations of what New York City life was going to be like for you, becoming a, a young adult? No expectations. I was completely innocent. So. Romania afforded me a high dose, a high level of innocence and naivety. And I didn't know anything. I just, I slipped in into life, of course, at the time, not knowing when I would return to Romania, impossible to return to Romania during communist time. Mm -hmm. I made an internal decision to cut just drop, knowing I cannot come back. I said, okay, my life is here. I'm st- I will start here. And that's kind of like a big decision that I made. It was kind of like hard wrenching to let go of the friends that I just made and new teenage girlfriends I just made, like all this hoopla that was there. Mm-hmm. Before I left uh, the, this investigation and Entered into that the no man's land of anonymous, uh, being anonymous in New York City, unknown, 
I was in a suburb, not a suburb, I guess in a, in a, a place of Queens, somewhere in Queens, so it was not in Manhattan. So still kind of like, um, like an, a neighborhood, like a immigrant neighborhood kind of place. But no, no expectations. I never felt an expectation to be in a particular way. Actually, I didn't know what is there to do. I was just living life. Hmm. So even when time came to go to university, I had no idea. No one explained to me what the significance of that, what is the importance. I just simply followed the herd of what my friends were doing or whatnot. But there's no projections on my mind or expectations. Mm. I think that's interesting that you didn't have a personal desire or passion for something yet or, or an expectation, but you followed the herd. So what was the herd mentality in New York City at that time that you were kind of just following along? Yes, I wasn't following the middle of the herd, but it's more like, um, you know, sometimes when the river flows, quite strong in the middle but on the on the side of the river the flow is like more linear more relaxed and from time to time like you know like a little leaf like gets pulled from the side or so these little leaves were more like my friends you know Mm -hmm. my friends and and the counselor calling me in and telling me so what are you gonna do and you have you have a very high rank in high school. I mean, I had no idea there were ranks. <laughs> no, they meant anything. And I just looked at her and I said, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, uh, it was not even like a happiness. There wasn't a competition there either. Uh, I mean, had I known, I would have probably studied even better and done my homework. <laughs> but um, so little by little, I started awakening to to the fact that now there were people that were it's like now we are having meetings with recruiters like what are recruiters and I was like okay (laughs) let's (laughs) let's see let's go to this meeting so it's more like this you know so so I was still not plugged in into the American um, United States mentality Um, not at all I was just this kind of like tiny little flows on the side mm-hmm. into the movements of my friend or joining um, joining a, an internship over the summer in high school for no reason other than it's just something to do and that they pay you uh, like a little stipend and what is there to do with the summer? It's like, ah, maybe go go do something cool in this uh, university mm-hmm. like okay that sounds good and and uh, but at no point did in my mind come uh, oh i'm going to this particular university because this will imply i have something on my resume or something like this though i do remember at some point joining some sports or something because somebody said this is extracurricular activity somewhere in my psyche the idea of extracurricular activity started to arise a little bit i didn't understand exactly okay what is it for i guess it's good for some 
thing later on that you will show that you had this. So then I joined extracurricular <laughs> <laughs> activities like the sports and clubs and uh, things like that. But, nice. uh, yeah. Okay. So when you, you graduated university and then you kind of entered the job market, were there then expectations that you started to realize like, oh, this is how the system runs and these are the ways that people want us to behave? Yes. As soon as I entered university, then um, expectations started to arise um, of myself. So more these were challenges that I, that I would propose to myself related to the image that I had of myself. So I remember, for example, once I wanted to take, I went to a school that was very, there's, they were giving very few credits for classes, which in other universities, for example, you get two and a half credits or three credits for maybe a physics class. In other universities, it would be four. And you needed so many credits to graduate. And in this school also, you needed more credits than in other school. Mm. So it was kind of like a tough, um, it was an engineering, architecture, and art school. But it was very tough. Actually, anyone who got in it, would automatically receive a scholarship. So they had a toughness about it, you see. Mm -hmm. So there, I remember in one semester, maybe in the sophomore year, I decided to take 27 credits, which I don't know what the equivalent of <laughs> that would be in a regular university, maybe 32, 34, 30, something mm -hmm. gigantic. So I had like seven classes or more or eight. And um, I really thought I was going to do it. And I was able to do it. But I also like to play a lot. And I was not a very dedicated uh, person related to my homework. Mm -hmm. And um, that was one of the, I had a breakdown during that moment. It, it was a moment of breaking the ego because I realized that, that I couldn't do it, you know. Mm -hmm. I realized that I couldn't handle it. It was an expectation I had of myself and a projection. Of course, secretly, uh, looking in retrospect, I was, though it was a challenge I proposed to myself, there was probably there an inner comparison with others. I mean, yeah. the fact that I was able to do it, it would probably give me a sense of confidence. Mm -hmm in front of myself, in front of others, <laughs> you know, to say, it's like, no, it's like, I, I can do this, you know. So it's like self-imposed challenge about, yes, about showing up in the world. Still, I did want it superiority. I wanted to be the best for myself, yes, mm -hmm. not compare with others, and I wanted to be superlative, not superior, but superlative. I wanted to be of the highest quality. And I failed. Mm -hmm. I failed. It was a tough fail. So I had to uh, choose to actually cut some credits. So for the ego, it was, <laughs> uh, oh, poor ego. It was yeah. very, very difficult, quite, quite devastating. But it was also a learning, like a rites of passage of sorts. You know, mm -hmm. because, yeah, 
it, it was a recognition of the limitations the mind can impose certain ideas and dreams. And it was a failure of that uh, projection. Whereas, you know, the only failure of projections I ever had until then, it was related to relationships with, with uh, girls, with potential mm-hmm. women that I, that I liked, that I had a connection with, and maybe not being able to fulfill that. But uh, other than that, you know, it's like whatever I wanted to do, I would do. I would, I would, mm-hmm. I would manifest, I would do. But there I felt. Yeah, that's interesting, because I guess that was your own self vocation to decide to take so many credits. So it was only up to you if you were going to pass or fail that ambition, right? If it's something in relationship to another person, then technically, you can't be as accountable because you can't control the other person. But would you not say it's also you, you also can't control like the work load that you will get the types of teachers you will get you know like the whole picture at the end of the day you still also don't have as much control as you might think you do Mm, yes but i don't think in that terms the the term that i felt that i was thinking of was uh, i simply conquer you know there's a mountain i'm gonna (laughs) go climb it that's it Uh so i will go climb to the top of that mountain and uh, that this is it. It's a, it's a very simple, <laughs> linear <laughs> kind of idea. It's not the fault of the mountain that mm-hmm. it has that particular shape. Mm-hmm. It's not my fault either, maybe that I couldn't climb it. So I, I never blame myself for it. Um, that's not, that wasn't part of my psychology. Uh, so that, therefore, I didn't need to project either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like a, a recognition of, being insurmountable is just like this it's like uh, this this cannot be overcome while while still embracing and maintaining the the sanity of my of my adolescent expression of playfulness and uh, yes i remember there was spring outside mm-hmm. and he was in Manhattan. I went to university, and and the trees. There were just trees that would just like start blossoming, like spring flowers first, you know, like cherry blossoms, but they're not cherries. And then, and then the little green leaves would come out. And for mm-hmm. me, that was more relevant than being in classroom. And it felt like a completely absurd to be in a classroom sitting there on a desk, having the mind engaged in when there was spring outside, you see. Mm-hmm. So, so right now, even now, I feel the 27 credits could definitely be done. And that's why probably I took them. But they could not be done while also honoring uh, my heart. You see, mm-hmm. that movement of the heart that wanted to, to live life not in the mind but to live it in an alive way, not in ambitions and goals. So my heart kicked my mind's ass. We can say like that. (laughs) Yes. How does that happen though? Because I feel like my my mind is just 
such a bully. Like it is just so strong. And in comparison, my heart is so weak and always loses in that battle. So how did your heart win? It's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I think deep down I was playing a game and this was all a game. It was never serious. And even deeper below that, there was a rebellion against being domesticated. So there was definitely a wild horse, stallion, whatever, inside that would be like, I will not be domesticated, but I can play this game. But this game is not serious. And, um, and this expression did, has expressed itself in my life before then as well. You know, so this is more, it's like not, not taking it so seriously, understanding it's a game. I didn't buy into it. And when I bought into it, that's when I had a little bit of that breakdown. Because mm-hmm. what I realized, the first thing that I realized at a time, it was that's not so important if I have this many credits, if I pass it. That's, that's not life. That's not so important. And in two years from now, four years from now, I remember contemplating. It's like, I won't remember. And it won't be so important to remember. You have three credits or 15 or 17. So then, yeah. So I started um, somehow allowing, uh, or maybe the contemplation was always there. But I, I allowed a, a space of contemplation. You know, It's like a spaciousness to start embracing life and, and look at it from different perspectives. But that came because things were being challenging and because of pain and difficulty and expectations of myself. So that, that, that difficulty and that uh, strive and that created the space for opening of contemplation and looking and understanding. There was ignorance in my perspective, and uh, the pain brought the need for vision. Mm-hmm. Was sick, you know? So how does it happen? Why does it happen for you? I think it happens for you. Your heart always wins. Mm-hmm. It's just the mind interprets it. Um, you're saying it's like, why does my mind always win? Yeah. The mind never wins. Your heart always wins. Your heart is the one doing everything. The only thing that a mind can do is just put a mask over things and give it an interpretation and says, I, I am the one. It's me, me. And uh, because it produces some judgments and produces some, some ideas about how things should be. But if you look deep down, most of the real movement that comes in your life, for example, doing this series of, of um, interviews, it's coming from your heart. Yeah. It's, it's your heart. Always it's your heart. And your mind uh, just flaps some paint um, over it or something <laughs> and yeah. put some words on top because the mind is the concepts. The mind is the concepts and the words. And, but if you look below that, you see the radiance of your heart always moving you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think that's that's really lovely to say. And I think what you said about pain 
that was kind of the the main foundation for me to start this because I had so much pain that I had experienced with men that I wanted to project back onto them. You know, I kind of found like a hundred victims to speak to. Originally, I thought, you know, I just needed them all to accept me. I'll start with a hundred and then I'll, I'll move forward from there. And it was, it was very aggressive at the beginning. And I was shocked. I was surprised by the, the difference in the responses I got, the vulnerability, the sadness, their shared pain that the, um, from the male perspective that I just didn't know about because I was just so focused on getting other people to understand my perspective. So I know you do a lot of work with, with men on masculinity. So what has been, has there been a change, you know, now that we're in 2021 and there is a lot of social causes, um, movements with gender, you know, and then working with men, is there frustration or confusion about self-identity in that sense? Working with men and with women, I think there's a confusion and <laughs> self-identity. Yeah. And the, the self-identity, as you know, it, it goes very profound, uh, the level of where we identify ourselves, um, living this mental-made images of who we think we are, and, and projecting that upon ourselves and upon the society and expecting that to be accepted. While we are just innocent children, really, if we don't accept these innocent children, then we cannot awaken to the mature human beings that we could be. And some people never awake to this. What I find working with men is um, there's a lot of pain, hidden pain, I can also see where uh, also a lot of immaturity, I have to admit. But it's not an immaturity because there's something wrong. We don't have the structure in our society to, to engage uh, men and women into, yes, into this, into this awakening to a, to a deeper maturity and a deeper love for themselves and for each other. I can see why any man or any woman would get hurt in our society. I could see why you might have been very much hurt. Because, you see, you put a person in an interview with a microphone in front, and, and they will speak from the heart and it's kind of like, relaxed and uh, and then you you're, you're approaching the heart and you are seeing some deeper aspects now you you meet a person on a street where, where you're not where the first thing that you don't say is like i interview men because they are scum and i want to get to the bottom <laughs> of, like um i want to expose them mm -hmm. and um are you one of those and then in that moment you have to reactions one of them is like uh ouch and don't treat me like that and like a posturing stand up. But another one also to be seen in your vulnerability, saying I'm hurt. There's also an, an innate and inherent movement to take care. At least I find it within myself. There's an inherent movement to take care, to protect, which is here as well. Mm -hmm. But this is not how we meet. You know, the way we meet 
um, and and on top of that, if, if for example somebody approaches men or women <laughs> of another one and says, "It's like I'm having difficulties. Uh, my relationships have been really crappy," then most likely we have been programmed by our society. This 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 didn't used to be the case, but uh, this later generations definitely where we develop a term baggage. You know, we mm -hmm. we developed it didn't exist before. But now it developed and because it entered in our consciousness that we made it like a thing on our checklist. So it's like you meet a person and they are expressing things and difficulties they had in, in their lives. And they're like, oh, baggage. It's like, I, don't, I, I want something easy, you see? So th this is the only thing that I can think of that can somehow cut this awakening, this need for protection, compassion, altruism, and love. Mm -hmm. that other human being might have towards another one and another man might have towards a woman and probably a woman also has towards a man and maybe I'll ask you that question after I finish my point but the other point that I wanted to make is underneath all of this there's that surface expression and I can see how that could be very immature and then when you don't act from that vulnerability where you met someone in vulnerability you have two masks meeting each other and you are posturing as, I'm like this, look at me. I'm, I'm attractive in this particular way that I'm exuding, you know. The man is, I'm like this, I'm, I'm invulnerable, I'm exuding this confidence and whatnot because that's attractive. So you have two masks which are expressing some very deep, profound, primordial primordial values that made you to meet to each other mm -hmm. and these primordial values are passed through some unseen filter of our society and then now they are expressed in a more kind of like refined form at the level of the mask and nobody meets anyone so you so you move from that mask where you're posing in front of each other to moving to to a very raw primordial meeting we just want to grunt and huff and like push <laughs> each other against the wall or whatever. And then in that moment, you're like, you, you miss the nobility of the human existence. And this is what we are missing. You see, mm -hmm. we are not meeting each other. That's the problem. So your story is not your story. It's everybody's story. The men and the women. And the men are frustrated because they... They, they feel sexual energy, but not the responsibility that comes with it, the responsibility of pregnancy and things like this. And the intimacy, you know, to, to receive something inside is very different than to project something outwards. And um, so there is this, yeah, this, this, this posturing and, and this hurt, and they feel the sexual energy. They, they want to puff the... the the feathers, like the peacock, let me, let me be the, you know? And all they want is they want to take care of this, this groin area that is vibrating or something, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and that systematically has been denied in our society. And then they're not in charge of it. They're not in charge if they're able to, thank God they're not. This yeah. is a good mm -hmm. thing, you know? But, but... But the way they're not in charge of it, it doesn't come 
in a smooth way. Mm-hmm. I says like, hey, when you have this, okay, this is just a part of yourself. Let this come into your being, into your emotions, into your heart. Let this, let, let this become love. Let this become connection. Let this become communion. Open up in a different, see with the different eyes. Don't, don't let it just be that primordial thing. No, it has been, that's wrong. That's wrong because that leads to rape. Because that leads to forcefulness. Because, and it's true. It does. It, and this is, this is the ugly truth of it. So then that restraint, that restraint comes there. So there's this constant rejection, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like rarely is the man who rejects, who says no. And at least from what I've seen so far, as long as I, since I, in my life until now, <laughs> it's like, um, it's like a woman, even if she would like to be with a man, just like in the raw, let's say, uh, love-making way or sexual way, should be much more careful about asking and not all the women, many women are forward, but, mm-hmm. uh, but she, she'd be like, she wouldn't just be like, it's like, Hey dude, let's, <laughs> let's go to my place and whatever, you know, she'd be like, let me make myself visible so he can approach me, you know, or I'm speaking about generalities. I know there are many exceptions. And, and then, so why am I saying this is like, even for the, like very few guys are the ones who are saying no. Mm-hmm. You know, we, could, we are used to getting the no. And then in getting the no, it's like we are building on a background of, of rejections because, the, because our society programs us to, to, to go towards the fulfillment of that energy, to that movement in our groin, instead of going for the connection, you know? which the connection would be, I think, a more feminine principle, uh, a more immediately feminine principle. The masculinity and femininity, they're not so different from each other. Mm. Actually, if you really look at it, we're very off, very little off from the center, but it's just like a little bit off, but going different directions, they can amplify. But the source of it, very little. Of course, men also love intimacy very much so there's no question and it brings a fulfillment and a connection and and love and and this is very much missing but um yeah so i think we we need to make a cocktail in the way we we program our society educate ourselves that includes more you know i enjoyed high school just having a crush and then just being there with that girl that I like and I still a glance. And then she was my crush and my puppy love, whatever. And sometimes we would touch fingers or in a group of friends would be near each other. So I'd be like, ah, so <laughs> exciting, you know? <laughs> and then maybe if something happened, then we walked around and we held hands and we shared the uh, whatever drain and then it was exciting and that's sufficient and that's the part that now it's missing yeah and it's it's coming straight to the goal rejections um expectations expectations of men expectations of women i think men judge women just in a glance or 
they could be looking at them in a way that is about um, in a strat strategic way for women the strategy might be even more increased um, and expectations of course there's a negotiation it's like the thing that we both want you we have to pass through hoops you know it's like, I want pleasure of lovemaking. You want the pleasure of lovemaking, but we need to, the one says like, I cannot do that until you have this check, this check, this check, this check. So now you're just passing through through hoops to, to get something. But then, but then it's like a woman may say, prove to me that you're worthy of our relationship before we get in bed. And, and the man will do that as a strategy. And that's why the relationships never work. Yeah, because it's it's very transactional. It's like, you know, a means to an end. Exactly. And they don't work because you didn't have time to develop. And if I develop it in the name of strategy mm -hmm. uh, to, to get in bed, then this is this doesn't work either. So I would almost, I was contemplating <laughs> uh, offering this like a relationship workshop. I was contemplating, well, what would it be like if you have a sexual attraction towards someone to just make love, get it out of the way and see if there's a relationship there, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's like, you know what? I don't have the time to, to build up like a strategic pseudo relationship just so we can have the consummation of all this like ga, 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 ga. Mm -hmm. But really, I'm not interested in you as a partner. And then there's the hope that you grow together as a partner by just being together. And if you make love, then you like that. It's a compromise on top of a compromise. Whereas another way you'd be have sex, mm -hmm. make love. It can be very connecting, you know? So I'm not saying in a disconnected way. So I'm not saying in a way that you're not. And then see if... Is there a relationship between us? Is there a possibility? It's mm -hmm. like afterwards, afterwards. So after without chasing a particular goal or getting this and that, it's like, do we jive with each other? Can we grow together in a relationship? And if you, all you're interested in just using or moving to the next sexual partner or whatever, then it's not going to work. Then good riddance. And why mm -hmm. should we see, like, you want to be in an open relationship, but you're just doing it in a linear way, serial open relationship, uh, linear instead of being, you call it monogamous, but it's not. You're not mm -hmm. willing to settle. You're not willing to develop a relationship. So, so I think I haven't fully contemplated. I'm not advising anyone to do this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but... I'm, I am contemplating because this is the thing that I do. I, I don't let any things to be, any rocks to be unturned. So I, I don't mind going with a mind and on a perspective. But I have a feeling somehow that um, the more sexually liberated we are, the more amazing relationships we'll have. Mm -hmm. Because then you'd be kind of like, you know, Anyone can have sex with anyone at any time. It's just a matter of having the, the proper consens, consens, uh, yeah, the, to consensual lovemaking. But 
so so that's no longer a forbidden fruit. It's no longer taboo, mm-hmm. and, and we take care of ourselves. We understand about sexual education and whatnot. So imagine removing this. So now, what makes the difference between being with a particular person? The difference would be, do you have a connection? Mm-hmm. You know? well, Is there, yeah. I mean, I, so I tried doing that. I tried the opposite. I was like, you know, why don't we just get it over with first and then see if we have a connection because I don't want to waste time developing a relationship and then being attached out of a duration of time and, yes. and, and having expectations. And it's, it's been interesting because I was able to cut things off really quickly if there wasn't a connection. If there was a connection, then it was undeniable. And yet it still wouldn't work because what I learned, um, at least from some men, was that they had an expectation that they had to work harder in order to deserve the transaction of sex. So if I, if I gave it up too early or I just got it over with now, the worth or the value of that relationship has now diminished. So as much as I would love to have everyone you know, having their sexual liberation, there is still that, that need for the effort of the work to be done. So I think I remember hearing this thing about how men don't like the idea of consent because they're used to the coercion. That's part of the, the, the manhood, you know, of getting her, you know, going through all of the hoops as part of your rite of passage. So what do you think of that? Yes, there's something to that. I, mm-hmm. I think that this is the current program. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean programs cannot change. And and, and there is the play of conquest, and then there's the play of um, of a challenge. But this is because we have directed our challenge in, in the wrong place. You, you see, we we everybody wants to challenge themselves, but imagine that challenge would be self-realization. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine that the challenge was not uh, some comparison with other couples or bank accounts or status, but it was how do I live in front of my heart, in front of that supreme reality as a being, whether you're a man or a woman. And, and this is my motivation and my movement. And I can do this by myself in the world. I can be completely alone, but it'd be so beautiful if uh, in this intimacy of, of dying into that, deeper truth, I can die in flame holding the hands of another person that I love, you know, or that I can develop that love. So then if the conquest becomes get the girl, then yes, but if the conquest come uh, surrendered to God or or capture the heart of God to to catch the attention of God to, to shine upon you, God I'm using not in a religious way, but in that in that ultimate reality, that ultimate truth, that holy grail, then, then in that moment, there is space, there is definitely space to allow for natural expression. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, naturally, naturally, I have interactions with human beings that I really, really enjoy, women and men. There are certain men that I have a connection with that I really enjoy, I'm heterosexual, so it never would never I would never consider 
that meaning any more than just a sense of deep friendship, you know, deep friendship and connection and resonance. But I have the same thing with women. And, but because there, there's that component of, of even deeper union through the physical bodies or a polarity that could be there um, at deeper levels, then, then I could see it's like, wow, we can, it's like, I can spend the rest of my life with you because we are playful. We are with you and with other people as well. Maybe isn't, so imagine, imagine there isn't a relationship in the sense of grasping, mm -hmm. but, but imagine, imagine having a friend that there are no rules but, but you love so much and you can be so vulnerable with and you grow together because you are in each other's lives. And then you get to know so much that you taste and you see them as they are. And, and that, that's what really this intimacy of relationship is. And yes, during the lovemaking, there can be an even more amplification of this and, and a deepening of this and some very special and beautiful things are happening there, but this no doesn't have to be a grasping, and and you are directed towards a different conquest. You see, I think everything you experience is utterly authentic. I would not, I would not remove the pain and the difficulty that you went through, and the suffering caused to you by those beings that you met, that those immature beings that you met. Also, maybe there might be there an immaturity for you as well in how you perceived or expected that. But also understanding maybe a man in a deeper layers, I think gives you also another way to connect, you know? So it's the same immature guy that you approach, but now you say, you be like, it's like, okay, I, I see. You just like, you're just being boyish or whatever. Mm. And so let's go deeper. And then, and then you start touching this man's heart and, and opening it and allowing it to blossom a little bit. Wow, the beautiful connection that you can have there. And, and no, you don't need to even <laughs> have uh, any lovemaking connection. You don't need to even be in a partnership. It's just that human connection with yourself and with himself and to see another human being grow and open it can be so beautiful but we don't approach this we everybody has agendas when they walk mm -hmm. in a bar if they are walking there for anything else other than to just have a, a drink with their friends or something and then go home yes so this is the thing, the agendas is what disturbs us and everybody's guilty of it, <laughs> most everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the agendas, I mean, we're, we like, we enjoy the structure of the agendas, right? And I think truly in these interviews now when there is no agenda because it is open conversation, you know, that I've had the opportunity to finally go deeper, but um I've met a whole spectrum of different types of guys, some that are more open and some that are less. And I don't think there's enough practice on, on opening or, or just having conversations 
or doing anything that has no agenda. So what would you suggest on building that practice of keeping no agenda? Naturalness, authenticity and naturalness. And that is a process because it requires vulnerability. And um, we, we don't know how to be vulnerable. Maybe started with the men needing to be tough because they need to posture in front of each other. And then maybe it got passed on to the women or maybe had, maybe the same phenomena is happening for the women as well. And of course, when I say men and women, like I've always picked the, the ends, uh, I put my place in two places on the string of the entire sexual and gender expression. So it's not this polarity. It's, it's any, anything. It's, it's about a human being in itself. But um, do you trust to be yourself and to love yourself as you are? And um, do you trust living outside of uh, society's approval of you? Mm-hmm. And, and when that deepens there, and when you start looking at who am I, who am I deep? Where, where, what is this awareness? What is this presence? What is this, what is this speaking these words? What is this listening these words? Then, then there, there's a trust. You can rest on a profound dimension of your existence and beingness that doesn't require words or concepts. And from there, the human expression and whichever gender expression, fluidity, whatever is there, will start expressing yourself naturally, but not seeking approval. You can always match the, the world so you can dance with it, but not, but, but not fake who you are while letting go of that authenticity of your expression. But people don't even know what that is. Yeah. So that requires taking the elevator deep, 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 the bottom of your spirit and then build it up from there. The question I want to ask you is what would you, if, if you met, let's say, a man that you physically like, let's say, mm-hmm. because everybody has physical preferences as much as they deny that they don't have, there's a spectrum of uh, there's a gradient of allowing and not allowing, you know, it's like attraction, not attraction. Okay. So let's say that somebody like was like in the sweet spot for you <laughs> in that mm-hmm. <laughs> physical <laughs> expression. So now here is you have a body and some aspects of it already will indicate something about the personality, maybe the haircut or whether the guy is working out or whatnot. But then what would you like if you were to ask something? The, if you were to ask, if you were to ask that genie from Aladdin's lamp, it's like make it so. Mm-hmm. What would you want? What What is the thing that for you you would be like? And I know it's just for you, so it's only for you. You're not dictating for other women, but in your heart, what would you want your men to be like? What qualities, what expressions, what is the 
the dream thing that would really, really open you up? The dream for me would be the comfort in talking about anything that, you know, there wouldn't be any projections or that he would think I'm judging him or that he doesn't think he can talk to me about it. I think a lot of um, men that I have encountered that I've struggled with is a comparison. They've always um, compared who was more strong or who was more ambitious or more successful. And I just wanted to see the real version of them. And I always keep arriving at some mask that they have put on because they believe that that's what I want to see of them. So it's kind of that second layer. If I could see that all of it, all of the good, the bad, the ugly, the all parts of it, rather than the strong, silent, resilient type that seems to be only available. And why do you think that men might be compelled to put up a mask and not, not release that as well? I think that there is a lot of fear of non-acceptance. Yes, it's a matter of trust and love. Mm-hmm. This is how I see it. I agree with this fear. And here is a little secret. Maybe it is true, maybe it is not, maybe it is a fear, maybe it's a projection. But there is something in me that thinks, that believes, of course, is not the, the deepest aspect of this expression, but is there as a question mark. If you saw the weakest expression, the weakest expression, that's already judgment to call it the weakest. Yeah. <laughs> you see? But if, if you saw that, that, that deepest, the most sorry, <laughs> the most pathetic expression, <laughs> then there will be a loss of interest. Yeah. There will be a depolarization. You see? Mm-hmm. So I would love, I would love, let's say, to suck my thumb and cry like a little boy. Let's say I'm, I'm making this up. I wouldn't be afraid of doing that, but, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say something about not being afraid to do that, but, or, or cry or complain or, or be like a little whiny something that is mm-hmm. there. And then in that moment, it's like, what it feels like for me in that moment is like I lost that polarization. I lost that, that possible respect and that connection in that way where we are connecting in that polarized way. It's like men, women, or whatever the partnership is. We, we can connect as mother-son. We can connect as therapy and whatever, the friend that you're trying to help. But, but something inside no longer sees that. It's like, I love my man. He's sucking his thumb and crying like a little baby <laughs> and, and being like, you know, and something inside goes like, oh, I can't believe he went there. You know, it's like, I didn't realize this. And, and this is, I'm, I'm saying this because that's a reflection to a question maybe within you. Let's just speak in a personal way, you know. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you still respect that men in that moment? 
I'm not asking you to answer now. It's a contemplative question, you see. Because if you find any trace in you that says no, then you understand why that mask is still there. But then to say yes, I will still might not be authentic. So now to go back to the thumb sucking, you'd be okay if someone cried and sucked the thumb, but you felt that when they did that, they were solid underneath. You see? So you'd be like, oh no, this is terrible. <laughs> sucking my thumb and crying like a baby. But inside, there's like a core that cannot go, that hasn't collapsed, that is still secretly holding space for this thumb sucking and for you to dance and to be there. It's still something there. So this is the fear. The fear is to collapse, to collapse all the way in such a way that I lose that respect, that polarity. And, and then the mask is there. And the men don't know how to maintain that inner core while still sucking the thumb and complaining and becoming whiny. Because you can become whiny for a little bit, but you know that you struck, you strike be through that whininess and you just hear like a solid, like, like a very solid foundation. And um, I, I think this journey of trust and love, it's a spiritual journey because there is something in our hearts, in our being, that you cannot go beneath once you recognize it. You cannot go through something that can no longer be collapsible. This awareness, this presence, this existence in this simplest form, this life, the source of life itself, the source of I, the source of, and, and this is, once you rest there, then, then the expression of any mind or emotional aspect that may be up might be there. We'll still be resting in that. And in the same time, the, the connection that I may have with a partner that may require that polarization or that dance, that trust will still be there because it's recognized through that, you know, it's not a complete collapse, it's not a lost. So the fear is that if that mask gets collapsed, then I cease to be a man and I cease to be a center and I cease to be anything I extinguish. So the deep healing of any of this is, is that, that profound recognition. On the other hand, I feel, and I know maybe we're going a little bit over time, but I will let you edit. <laughs> um, on the other hand, I feel that you can also grow through that disappointment as well. Yeah. And you, you cannot grow through it. I don't think you can grow through it by, by just thinking, by allowing. It's like, no, no, I can allow a man to, to be complete mush and then, <laughs> because because something inside will dissolve with it, no matter how much your mind will pretend. You'll be like, no, once I've seen that, I cannot unsee it. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, but you could see the light. You can always choose to see the light that a man is, or a woman, or anything 
you can always choose to see that, but you can see, okay, the ego and the masks and everything is collapsing. The posturing is collapsing. The, the masculinity principles are collapsing, but they are coming from the spirit. They are coming from the light. They are coming from the depth. And that I see and is still resting on that. And that's that what I love. That's what I connect. And, and, and in that love and that compassion and that connection, I can still connect to that presence. That presence is still here. And I can still polarize myself in that, with that presence. And then when, once you start working at these deeper levels, then the masks no longer need to be there. And, uh, and uh, many things get healed. And um, you would love to see the, the vulnerable human masculine expression because that brings you a trust that there's truth and then there's connection and, and there's, there's, there's honesty, there's like authenticity there. And that makes you like want to dance with joy. But also the recognition of that, which is go beyond even the masculinity, needs, needs to also be there. Otherwise, it seems like void. It feels like everything collapses up on itself. So these are some things to contemplate, I think, in our lives. Yeah, I love that. I, thank you for sharing that. I think um, we, we talked a lot about the beauty of pain and um, disappointment and how you're able to find the light through that. And I think a lot of us like to escape pain and disappointment and all of those negative feelings. So um, my last question to you is, what, what is left that you think, what topics would you like to invite another man to elaborate on further in another episode on the show? Find your deepest direction, your, your deepest, find your holy grail, find that, um, that drive inside for which you are willing to die. Find, find that that's the center, that's the center of, of the movement of your life. And that is, that is the satisfaction of the masculine expression. And um, on the process, on the way to that, you have to face yourself in vulnerability. From, from that, from, from the finding that, that, um, that crusade, that, that movement, that challenge, everything can be built up naturally and authentically. You see, you don't need to be empowered. You just need to let go of the veils and the masks that hold down the natural instinct um, to find that your deepest motivation in this life. It can change, it can refine in time. Mm -hmm. So you can start with whatever is exciting now and alive, and that can shift. It always will deepen because you're going through surfaces, going deeper, plunging deeper. But, um, but that gives you something that you can rest, that, that you can rest into 
which brings a comfort and a center. And um, another thing to say, there are certain aspects that I consider they are part of our um, human existence reflected in the feminine, so certain feminine um, expressions and the masculine, certain masculine expressions, which I feel they are um, eroding. Um, there's certain authentic movements inside of ourselves, which I believe that the society is eroding by putting layers of projections and fears upon them. Um, and because of this, then we, we cannot rest in naturalness and authenticity. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I, I feel, for example, that a human being that is born in a male body that has an attraction towards the masculine expression, yes, because you can be in a male body and have an attraction towards the feminine expression might find the masculine expression be honed, sharpened, tuned through a challenge, sometimes by being tough, tough with oneself or a certain toughness that is there. I wouldn't recommend the same for the feminine expression. Even for a man's mask who is developing masculinity, they need to develop the feminine expression as well. So I wouldn't recommend the toughness for the development of their own feminine expression. But the masculine expression will be like a certain toughness. You know, sit up straight, wake up in the morning, do the things that you don't like to do. Don't enter into that comfort. But, but this, this immediately starts colliding with projections upon the men. You know, men should be tough. Men got to do this. So now if you act from those projections, then you you are not authentic. Mm-hmm. You need you need to find that underneath that. But then there's judgments as well. Men are always uh, like this and macho and blah blah blah. So you need to go through that. So there are many layers of society and projections and judgments of yourself and others upon you. They need to be cut through. But in when you cut all of these things and you see yourself, you find that certain things that are being judged. There's certain things that are being projected or expected are actually true. But you need to find it for yourself. So you see? So find that toughness in yourself to be able to understand what, be- what it means to become more simple. Because the toughness brings a simplicity and a verticality and a point and a center towards you, which is, which is hard and immobile and it gives you a certain strength, strength of the center. And, and you cannot learn that by dancing and wiggling with everything that happens in life. So give yourself a challenge. Give yourself something that keep you, keeps you up, you know, so. Wow. What would you die for? I think of what I would spend my life doing. I mean, I spend my life fighting for women's issues and making content and things that I think matter to me, but what would I die for? That's something that I would end my life for? I'm not sure. You don't need to be empowered. 
I learned from this interview. You just need to let go of the veils, the masks that hold down the natural instinct to find your deepest motivation in this life. This was such an insightful conversation, and I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or you know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men. Mm-hmm.